We are well on our way in our new sermon series in the book of James. This book, of course, is well known to be one of the most practical books in all of Scripture. I hope you've seen that already. Uh, it really speaks to us right where we're at, meets us in our daily lives. It asks and answers some important questions. The primary one, of course, is this. If you have had a genuine encounter with God, if you have embraced Jesus Christ, will your life look any different afterwards? That's the question the book asks. When, when the rubber meets the road, will your daily life be different if you have met Jesus? This book is a collection of, of authentic faith tests. So if you want to know if your faith is real, if you want to know if you have an authentic faith, this is a great book to read, which is why we're studying it. This is a book that, that will really uh, do a uh, work of sovereign grace in each of our lives. It will encourage those of us who are concerned and timid about our faith and challenge those of us who might be a little bit too confident about our faith. So far we have covered two tests of authentic faith. If you look at the beginning of the, of the book of James, you'll see in verse 2 he says, to count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so that is the first test of faith. How do you respond to trials? Is it a response of joy? Do you embrace the trials that you are in or are going to face with anticipation, believing that God actually is working in and through those trials for your good? To bring about Christ's likeness, it says, to complete his work in verse 2 and 3. Do you believe that about the trials you're facing? That's the first test of authentic faith. If you can say, yes, I'm joyful in trials, then you have passed the first test. That doesn't mean that if you aren't necessarily rejoicing in all trials that you failed the test. It simply means you need to work on your joy in trials. The second test that we came across was at uh, verse 12, I believe, 12 through 18. And jo uh, James asked us to consider our view of God. What is your personal view of God? That's the second test of faith. Do you believe that, that he's a good God? Do you believe that he's a bad God? One who enjoys seeing you squirm. One who brings circumstances into your life so that, you know, you'll have difficulty. Do you think that, what, what is your view of God? That's the test of faith. If your view of God is one that he is good, then you've passed the that particular test of authentic faith. Today we come to our third test of authentic faith. And it's found in verses 19 through 27. The summary of, of these verses that I'm going to cover for you today is this. When a true disciple hears God's word, there is affection for its truth and a desire of the heart to obey it. That is really what I'm after today. I want you to see that if, if your faith is authentic, if you truly know Christ, your response to the word of God will be one of affection and obedience. So, one of the most reliable evidences of all the evidences that we're going to find in this book, one of the most reliable evidences of authentic faith is a personal hunger for the Word of God and a commitment to do everything you can to obey it. Just as you don't have to teach newborn babies to hunger for their mother's milk, 
You don't have to teach newborn believer to hunger for God's Word. It's part of the territory. It's the impulse that's built into all who come to Christ by faith. When the Holy Spirit converts the soul, the Holy Spirit gives our souls a desire for God's truth that's found in His Word. Jesus said this in John 8, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. This is why James includes this as a test of faith. Do you abide in God's Word? What is your response to the Word of God? I think that some of you probably remember that we were recently in Psalm 119. And that psalm has something to say about our love for the Word, doesn't it? You remember verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Verse 14, I delight in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And so the whole psalm, Psalm 119, is about a true believer's love for God's Word. And they love God's Word because it is in their nature now that they've been converted to do so. If you find that you have little or no interest in the Word of God, what does that suggest? Well, it's evidence that you may not have authentic faith. That's James's point. Why? Because when you are born again, when you're born from above, God implants in you a desire for His Word. It's completely natural for the unbeliever to resist the Word of God, to disregard the Word of God, to lack an interest in the Word of God, because they don't have a heart that is sustained by the Word of God. And those of us who know Christ have a heart that is sustained by the Word of God. Oh, you're, you're going to find unbelievers referring to the Bible, maybe even quoting it on Instagram, but uh, generally it's not because they cherish it or want to submit to it, because it's, it supports something that they're thinking about. They're naturally not drawn to this source of joy, of hope, of peace, of guidance. In fact, the Bible tells us that in our natural selves, our response to the Word of God is hostile and resistant. In Psalm 119, 155, we discover a critical connection between the Word of God and the heart. It says this, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. So if you're a person who does not seek God's Word, do not pursue any personal involvement with the Word of God, what does that suggest about your conversion? If you believe what the psalmist says. Similarly, Jesus in John 8 said this, Whoever is of God, those who have been actually ha uh, in impacted by God Himself, who had encountered with Christ, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. Jesus said, the reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. So Jesus answers the question for us there in Psalm 119, 155. With belief in Jesus comes a belief in his word. Reject one, you reject the other. It's part of the new nature that every genuine believer receives at the moment they are regenerated by God is to have a hunger and thirst for God's word, just like milk. So let me read for you, if I would, James 19, uh, 1, 19 through 27. Follow along in your Bible if you have one. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. <clears throat> know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is, li what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceives being, and perseveres rather, being no hearer who forgets what, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is, a relig is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I've just read for you the third test of authentic faith. It is a test of the receptivity of your heart to the Word of God. Authentic faith, we could say, is marked by two things, and I want you to hear them this morning. There are two points in your outline. Authentic faith is marked by receiving the Word of God with humility. That's the first thing I want you to hear. James begins this new section by saying, if you'll notice in verse 19, know this. This is actually a reference back to verse 18, so we could actually read it. Knowing this, or having known this, know, knowing that you were brought forth by the word of truth, James begins this new section, this new test of authentic faith, by connecting it to what he has just written in verse 18. He has made it clear in that verse that every believer's salvation, every believer's conversion is a result of, of God using his word to bring about new spiritual life. Peter affirms the same thing. He says this in 1 Peter 1.23, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. How are you born again? Through living and abiding word of God. Peter says. So verse 18 tells us that we are converted by the power of God through the scriptures. Now, uh, as I mentioned in weeks gone by, when we share our faith with people, when we share the gospel, we must be sure to include scripture. As, as important and nice as our testimonies are and the power of the gospel that it has had on our lives, it's critically important that when you share the gospel, you actually share scripture because it is through scripture that one's soul is converted. And so that's why we provided you copies of the gospel of John. Uh, if there is a gospel in the New Testament that communicates what it, is, what it means to believe in Jesus, it's John. So take, a, take of those copies, put one in your car, one at home, one in your back pocket, wherever you keep things, and use that as you share the gospel with people. Give it out between now and Christmas. But the scripture does more than just bring forth uh, spiritual life. It does more than just convert the soul. As wonderful as that is and as important as that is, the word of God is also what the Holy Spirit uses to transform the life. Not just to convert it, but to change it. To make you like Jesus. This is what Timothy heard from Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, God uses the word of God. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, applies it to your heart, and 
causes, actually causes the growth of Christ-likeness in you through the Scriptures. Growing as a Christian is dependent upon the intake of God's Word. So the Word of God not only makes us right with God, to use the theological term justification, it's, it, it is involved in the justification of the sinner before God, but the Word of God also causes us to delight in God, which another theological word could be used as sanctification. The Holy Scriptures does both. It, tra- it converts the soul and transforms the life. And it's necessary. We heard this read from Psalm 19 earlier in this service. Listen to these two verses again from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. That's the Word of God. The Word of God is perfect. What's it do? It revives the soul. Every single one of us need our souls revived, don't we? We have dead souls when we're born. The only way that your soul is converted or revived is through the Word. This is, in fact, what the psalmist just said. What else does it do? The testimony of the Lord, another name for Scripture. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes simple people like you and me wise. I'm happy about that. The priests of the Lord are right. They, they bring joy to the heart. The command of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes or it brings understanding. See, the Word of God not just, doesn't just convert you. It transforms you. Not only is the issue or the the use of this uh, new section starting with uh, my beloved brothers. Remember that's the title that he or the words he uses to identify a transition in this book. My beloved brothers, it, it signals a new section. But James actually loves these people that he's writing to. He is their pastor. He desperately wants what is best for them. His his love, I think, pushes him to say all these difficult things that need to be said um, to his flock. I think it's clear that a pastor's heart is always willing to say whatever needs to be said for the spiritual growth and health of his people. Sometimes you hear things from this pulpit that you may not like, um, but I think as we get through this sermon today, you'll understand why sometimes those things need to be said. First of all, we must realize that we are converted by the Word and made to be like Jesus through the Word. If that actually happens, we'll be a peculiar people in a good sense who love to have God direct us. That's not normal in this day and age, is it? To have, to, to look forward to the direction of God? No, but authentic faith results in desiring God's word and the instruction and direction that it gives. Verse 19 identifies three things that that, uh, clarify this for us. Look at verse 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's look at these one at a time. First of all, quick to hear. My dad used to tell me that God gave me two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um... And then from time to time, I would hear this verse quoted by one or both of my parents, sometimes in unison. Um, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise, John. Uh, When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So, John, you don't have to do anything. (laughs) Just be still, keep your mouth closed, and things are going to work out way better. 
Generally, if you want to learn, you need to listen more than you talk, is what my parents were trying to suggest to me. But is that what James is talking about here? Is he, is he talking about the necessity of keeping your mouth closed and your ears open? Try to keep in mind that this whole section is about the receptivity of the Word of God, the receptivity of you, rather, to the Word of God. How do I know that this section is about our receptivity to the Word of God? Well, look at the section with me briefly. By the way, many have struggled with connecting verse 19 with the flow of the passage here, but if we will recognize that the context is about the Word of God, verse 19 fits in beautifully. Let's look at this. First of all, verse 18, he speaks of the Word of truth, how we are converted or brought forth by the Word of truth. Verse 21, he speaks about the implanted Word. Verse 22, being doers of the Word. Verse 25, looking into the perfect law of liberty, which is the Word. He refers to the mirror as the Word of God. This whole section is about the Word of God and receiving it with humility. So, James is exhorting his readers to take every opportunity to take in the Word of God. Be quick to hear the Word of God. In our day, we have so much opportunity to do this, it's amazing. We have reams of commentaries and online helps and software. I have a software called Logos that I use daily uh, for my study. And it, every time I open it, it, is, it blows my mind with how much information is available if you'll simply look. So we really have no excuse as pastors and teachers to not be prepared when we get ready to teach. All of us can go online, listen to almost any pastor in America we want to listen to. Uh, we can access for free many and good commentaries. We can use free online Bible study sites that help us with word studies, passage outlines, thematic studies, reading plans, and so forth. This church offers you an abundance of uh, the Word of God. Sunday seminars, do you take advantage of that? Are you quick to hear? Maybe you want to consider going to a Sunday seminar. Uh, do you attend a small group where we, where we discuss the Word of God? Are you quick to hear? Maybe you ought to go to a small group. Are you quick to hear, friends? The Word of God is everything we need for life and godliness, according to Peter. Do you need something in life? Do you, do you need some direction in godliness? Well, the Word of God is your answer. God's Word is crucial for the development of the Christian Christ-like character. If you've examined your life and haven't noticed a lot of spiritual growth, it's for one reason. It's lack of the Word of God. The Word puts us into communion with our Creator and reveals His will and His character and His love and His, His direction and encouragement for Christian living. You remember Hebrews 4.12, right? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It penetrates to the dividing of the intents of your heart. See, the Word of God gets into where nothing else can. Are you quick to hear it? How hungry are you for it? Um, Jesus said those who are satisfied are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where, where might we find some righteousness? Where would I go to find some of that stuff? Well, the Word of God is where we find righteousness. Psalm 119, verse 15, is that true of me? 
I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Does that describe me? How about Psalm 1-2? Is that true of me? My delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law I meditate day and night. Do you joyfully and with anticipation take in the word of God? Do you read your Bible? Do you listen to sermons? Are you quick to hear? You might say, Pastor John, I, I do all those things and I, I still don't seem to, to see the spiritual growth that I think I should be seeing. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. If, if you're keeping up with your Bible reading plan, um, why are you doing that? Why are you reading your Bible faithfully if you are? Why are you here this morning? Are you listening attentively? Or are you reading your Bible reading plan so that you can move your bookmark forward? And maybe say something about it on Facebook. Why are you reading the scriptures? Why are you here in this room right now? Are you quick to hear and hearing attentively? Or are you doing something else? Oh, I'm not saying that you're not here listening. I'm certain that sound waves are passing over your eardrums. But are you listening? And hearing and listening are two different things. Let me, let me give you some ideas maybe for listening better. Are you preparing well? Uh, when you read your Bible, are you conscious? When you're listening to sermons, are you somewhat coherent? Have you gone to bed at a decent hour the night before so that you can pay attention in a room that's too warm? At least this level is too warm. Um, have you prayed and asked God to prepare your heart and your mind to be receptive, joyfully receptive of his word? You know, this is a spiritual activity that's going on this morning, right? It's a spiritual activity when you open your scriptures and read it at home, in your favorite place? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to do His work in you before you read or listen? Are you taking notes? Do you care to remember what is said here on Sunday mornings? Are you debriefing with the people you love afterwards? Are you listening well? Are you quick to hear? The next thing James says is we ought to be slow to speak. We could, we could take this command out of context and use it on people who talk too much. I think we all know people who might benefit from receiving this anonymous verse from us in the mail. Um, but what does James mean here when he says be slow to speak? Keep in mind that he's talking about receiving the Word of God. There are two ideas that commentators uh, suggest James might be talking about. One is that James doesn't want people thinking about their own ideas or, or some way to, to argue their point with whoever's speaking. You ever catch yourself doing that? You hear a point made in a sermon or a Sunday school class and you spend the next 12 minutes creating your own argument against it, and you've less, lost less 12 minutes of teaching? That's what some commentators think James is talking about. Don't spend your time debating with the, the teacher and preacher about what's being said for fear of missing what is being said. 
You see, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to use the God-ordained preacher and teacher to penetrate deeply into our souls instead of debating in our minds about what's being said by the teacher or preacher. It's amazing how easy our natural minds default to this kind of thing. Second idea that commentators have about James's comments, and I think the gist of what he's saying, is that if you're going to be speaking the Word of God, do so with reservation. Be slow to speak. Don't flippantly rattle off the first thing that comes to your mind when you are discussing the Word of God. In verse 26, James says that an unbridled tongue is a sign of worthless religion. And I've heard enough sermons to hear unbridled tongues. I think that this command, be slow to speak, is pointed mostly at people who stand up in front of people, like myself, to teach God's Word. When someone gets up and opens the Bible and says, listen to what God has to say, uh, there needs to be some serious consideration about what comes out next, don't you think? I think this is why James in chapter 3 verse 1 says not many of you should be teachers. There's far too many today who are willing to shoot from the hip, get up and talk about God's word without having sufficiently studied, prepared, or prayed. You probably noticed my um, distracting attachment to my notes every Sunday. Um, I, I'm attached to my notes because I want to be sure that I say what I've planned to say. And don't veer off course. I want to be slow to speak about what I think God is saying to us as a church. I think at this point it's important for you to know that, that I, I never get up uh, in front of you uh, without sufficient study and comparing what I have to say with what others have already said about the text. Other orthodox and... Uh, respected theologians and commentators. I never get up here and tell you what I think without first um, interacting with people who've gone through this at a way deeper level than I have. You remember Jeremiah, the young man? Many believe, scholars believe he was about 14 or 15 when God called him to ministry. If you read Jeremiah, the first thing out of the chute is he said no. <laughs> he said, I'm not, I, I'm not the guy for this, God. You got the wrong guy. And you know what God's solution to Jeremiah's attitude was in reluctance? Oh, yeah, I do. He says, you're the right guy. You're going to do this. And so Jeremiah, you know, he, this guy, Jeremiah, had a meltdown. And, uh, but eventually, you know, did the teaching and preaching that God had called him to. He was slow to speak. We all know the story of Moses and his reluctance. God said, you're doing it. Um, it's said of the great Scottish reformer and preacher John Knox that when he was first called to preach as a young man, his biographer said he burst into tears and withdrew to his chamber and his countenance and behavior demonstrated the trouble of his heart. Slow to speak. Charles Spurgeon tells of a story in his book, Lectures to My Students, of a young man who <clears throat> demanded to be admitted into Spurgeon's pastoral training school 
because he declared himself to be the most qualified and gifted student Spurgeon had ever met. Spurgeon, of course, listened to him patiently and then declined him on the basis of his overqualification. He said he didn't want the young man to have to condescend to the lowly folk at Spurgeon's college. <laughs> Be slow to speak. Spurgeon himself was also so cautious and slow to speak and serious about what he said on Sundays that he would repeat 15 times every Sunday, I believe in the Holy Spirit as he walked up the 15 stairs to his pulpit. Slow to speak. Even someone like Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. And then James says, continuing to demonstrate what it means to have a heart of humility in receiving the word of God, he says, be slow to become angry. You think, okay, that's, that's out of place for sure. What does becoming angry have to do with receiving the word of God? Well, let me try to explain it to you. Anger is an emotion that comes to most of us very easily, especially, listen, when something impedes our will. The only reason we get angry is because something's impeding our will. You've never been angry at any other time. Then, but when something or someone is impeding your will. The Greek word that James used for anger, orge, does not refer to a fiery outburst that comes to mind when we think of temper or anger. James is referring to an anger that could be described as resentment, bitterness, inner resistance. It's a smoldering, seething emotion that's not readily noticeable to people around you. You could be on fire right now in anger and no one around you would know. Because it's an internal thing, which is why James says it's so dangerous. It never produces righteousness. What's he talking about? Um, is he referring to some smoldering resentment or seething anger towards people? I don't think so. Remember, he's, he's talking about receiving the Word of God. I think what James is saying here is that if you're going to sit under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God and inwardly seethe and get bitter and become resentful and resistant to what is being said, there is no way the Holy Spirit can do a work in your heart. I've said this before, but it bears repeating here. If you sit under Bible teaching and are not challenged or made to feel uncomfortable or experience some spiritual struggle and pain with what is being said, then what is being said isn't faithful to God's intent for the scriptures being taught. Amen. That doesn't, you, it doesn't work because we're in our, in, in our natural selves, we are resistant to the scriptures. We're hostile to them. And so when you sit here as an immature believer and hear the unadulterated Word of God plaster your soul, your natural reaction is going to be, stop already. That doesn't sound right. It makes me angry. Being transformed, friends, by the renewing of your mind through the Scriptures is that. Transformation is painful. It grates against our natural inclination and causes resistance 
as we adjust our theology. And because we aren't perfect yet, we naturally feel a spiritual and mental pain when the rasp of God's Word runs across our souls. I come across this regularly in Scripture. I don't like that. That doesn't feel right. And I think you all know what I'm talking about. We've all had those experiences. So when you hear me say something that causes you to want to recoil, resist, all I'm asking is that you listen to James 1.19. Examine your heart. Be quick to listen. Slow to become angry. Pray for a receptive heart. And as Josh prayed earlier, pray that I will speak to you God's word. So we can work together towards our mutual movement towards Christ. James's emphasis is on those who hear the truth and resent it because it exposes their sinfulness. They become angry because they disagree with that theology. They want to fight back because that's not what I was taught when I was a kid. Now this doesn't mean that you never get angry over what's preached. Sometimes you should get angry and throw the bum out, literally. But these three commands, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, seamlessly come together to reveal that humble attitude. Do you see it? And if these three descriptions don't communicate humility clearly enough, James in verse 21 simply comes out and says this, be humble as you listen to the Word of God. You see it? Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. That word meekness has been translated numerous times as humility in Scripture. Receive with humility the implanted Word. Friends, one of the, the, the marks of authentic faith is humbly receiving God's Word. Is that happening in your life? Have you received the word in humility? I think the reason James says this in verse 21, the reason he uses this word humility or meekness is because it's a, per a perfect summary of the person who hears the word of God and receives it with joy. The Greek scholar W.E. Vine, maybe some of you own Vine's dictionary, he describes this Greek word uh, translate, translated meekness as follows. It is an inwrought grace, in other words it comes from God, it's an inwrought grace of the soul and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. A meekness and humility towards God. And then it is a temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us. Joy and trials for example. And therefore without disputing or resisting so when, when James says, receive the implanted word with meekness, don't dispute it. Don't resist it. The, the idea of meekness communicates, as James would want, a, a teachable spirit. You heard that before? Um, the elders of this church who are uh, overseeing your spiritual growth and development uh, talk about the the development of, our, of the spiritual lives of our people regularly. And one of the things that, that we say behind closed doors is we really like fat people. 
You think, wait a minute. You know, uh, I said that in the first service, and I got a lot of this. So I'm glad at least you were paying attention before I said it. What do you mean we like fat people? Well, fat is an acronym for a desirable set of qualities. We like people at Sun Valley Church who are faithful, available, and teachable. People who respond to the Word of God with joy. That is a sign of authentic faith. We love people like that. And if you're not like that, we love you anyways. We just pray for you more hard. Authentic faith, friends, is revealed by the joyful acceptance of God's direction from His Word to our lives. We no longer stand over the Word of God and scrutinize and judge it. No, we do not do that. We don't say, I believe that, I believe the other, I don't like that, so I'll ignore it. No, we put ourselves humbly under the Word of God and allow it to scrutinize us. And, of course, this attitude and position puts us on a collision course, doesn't it, with the world and even the church. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says that we should receive with meekness or humble submission the implanted word. What is the implanted word? Well, as the word communicates, it has the idea of a planted seed. It brings back thoughts of the parable of the sower that Jesus taught that where he described the farmer who threw seed into the field to gain a harvest. Here, James communicates this same idea. The Spirit of God has, in every true believer, planted God's Word in our hearts, and it has, produ it has produced regeneration. It has caused us to be born again. Now we are to joyfully submit to that same Word as the Holy Spirit uses the same Word to conform us to the image of Christ. Amen. That's the plan. That's why you are here week after week. And when you miss, you miss the opportunity to grow by that implanted word. Authentic faith is marked by receiving the word of God with humility. And to our second point, which is much shorter, receiving the word of God with purity. Look at verse 21 again. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the word which is able to save your souls. Friends, before God's word can pr produce what God's desire is for it to produce, there must be a putting away of wickedness. This is what James says. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the word. The, the, wickedness, sin, uh, filthiness, that always impedes the Word of God in your life, without exception. Have you ever noticed, when you're struggling with sin, you are most likely not in the Word? You ever notice that? That is not a coincidence. Listen to how other authors in the New Testament describe this. The importance of removing filthiness and wickedness from our lives so that the Word can do its work. Ephesians 4, Paul said, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. How are you going to become truly righteous and holy? By putting off. You have to put off before you put on, Paul said. The author of Hebrews 
Chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Why? So that we can run with endurance the race set before us. You can't run with a bunch of weight around your ankles. Peter, who knew a little bit about sin. So, he says in 1 Peter 2, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Why? Because like newborn infants longing for, for pure spiritual milk that you may grow by it. Unless you put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, the, the Word is not going to have an influence on your life. There is a barrier between you and that effective work of God in His Word. Now, there's two words here that I want to explain to you because they help us understand exactly what's being said here. The English word filthiness that we have there in verse 21. Put away filthiness translate the, translates the Greek word that was closely related to the word used to describe wax in the ear. All right? Which impairs hearing. If you know anything about wax in the ear, I think this is very helpful to understand what James is saying. Filthiness in the life like wax in the ear will make it difficult to hear. That's all James is saying. If you harbor sin or filthiness of any kind in your life, whether it be your thought life, misplaced affections, false gods, etc., you know what they are, you will have great difficulty in properly hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God. It's not rocket science. If your ears are jammed full of junk, you're not going to hear stuff. Next, rampant wickedness. This sounds pretty severe. It's a description of abundance or prevalence of wickedness. Now listen, that is hidden in the heart. It's not on display. Even though it's rampant, it's just ubiquitous in your life and nobody else knows it. That's the way James is describing it. Wow. It's a, a subtle corruption, but it's Everywhere. It's maybe one thing, but it's infected everything in your life. James wants us to rid ourselves of these dark weights that weigh us down, that, that cause our heart to be indifferent to, the God, to God's Word. This, is, this filthiness and rampant wickedness are, are things that keep us from truly understanding the significance of what we're hearing, what we're reading, what we're being taught, what's being preached. Friends, what we've just gone over is the third test of authentic faith, and it's revealing, isn't it? How do you score on this test? Do you receive the word with humility? Are you, are you quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry? Do you receive the word of God with purity? Are you actively ridding yourself of any known sin? Are you throwing off anything that might be weighing down you in your race? Well, um, let, me, let me close with this. Every one of us has this struggle because we all come from the same place, don't we? We all come from the place of sin. We all have, uh, we're all born with uh, unregenerate nature. And so all these Things, all these negative emotions, all this rejection and, and reluctance to the scriptures comes natural to us. All right? 
the only solution for all these struggles that we have is Christ. He's the only solution. You can do your best to clean up and shave and take a shower and do everything you want in the spiritual arena, and you remain resistant to God's Word. Like uh, whitewashed tombs that Jesus talked about. The solution, friends, is coming to Christ, the, the, the friend of sinners, the friend of people like us, and confessing our resistance, confessing our anger, pleading for help from the only one who can give it. That is the answer. So this morning, if you've been convicted by uh, maybe your lack in one of these areas, friends, have hope. Because we know one, don't we, who loves to solve these things. We know one who loves us, who loves us in spite of our sin, in spite of our hostility and rejection. So come to him. Run to him. And what better, what better day to run to Christ than on Sunday? Amen. What better day to run to Christ than on Communion Sunday? All right? And because we want you running to Christ, we're going to have you actually come forward. You have to get out of your seat and come to Christ this morning and take what he has offered to, to be renewed in your spirit, to be fed the gospel. So we're going to have you come forward this morning and we're going to serve you as elders. Elders, if you would come at this time, I'm going to read for you um, the words of institution from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, then I'm going to have Dennis um, pray for the elements. But before we do that, I'm going to ask if you will stand with me and recite the Ligonier Christology statement that's in your bulletin and on the overhead. What we're about to recite are the things that we believe. These are the things that qualify us to come forward. If you don't believe these things, don't come forward. All right? Confess your sin and then come forward. 